I know, it's still early. I just, all I heard was, you know your pastor's tall when the like music stand is literally to my chin. To my chin. (laughs) No, it's good. I'm just. (laughs) All right. Um, Well, good morning. It's good to be here in person. And for those of you that are joining us online today, and uh, I just want to say a quick prayer before we get started. So, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the time that we have here today, Lord. And I thank you for this opportunity to. Be a vessel of your word, Father God. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come and fill this place and that your words would go forth, Lord, and that uh, we would remember that this is about you and this is about us seeking your face and hearing the word that you have for us today. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to your people, Lord, and that uh, anything that is of me would just fall to the ground and that it would just be you up here speaking. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, the year is 1842. Carl Ritter von Giga was an engineer who had the idea that he was going to connect the cities of Vienna, Austria to Venice, Italy. There was just one problem, the Alps. Construction started in 1848, and the tracks were finished in 1854. It took 20,000 workers, and the track consisted of 15 tunnels, 16 viaducts, and over 100 bridges. The Semmering Railway Line is still active today, 157 years later. And it is considered to be one of the greatest feats of civil engineering during the pioneering phase of railway building and is one of the most scenic routes you can take by train in the world. And there's a couple of pictures in the handout if you are curious to see what it looks like. Um, But here's the thing. Much like Carl Ritter von Giga, I had a vision I had a plan. I had a dream. And maybe like you, I thought that 2020 was going to look completely different. My husband and I celebrate New Year's Eve. Uh, We stay home and we are total nerds because we eat yummy desserts and we talk about and analyze how the previous year went. And then we talk about our plans and our goals for the next year. And so we were so excited for 2020. We're like, yes, it's a new year. It's a new decade. This is so exciting. We're moving into a new season because we don't have a newborn anymore. Praise God. Like, we are so excited. It's going to be a Sinisi smash. Like, woo! It's going to be great, right? We were so excited. And maybe some of you felt that way too. And it's June. The year is halfway over. And we haven't smashed a thing. And it looks way different than I would have ever have anticipated this year to look. The past few months, we as a people group of the entire world have been living through a traumatic experience. So just in case you weren't aware, living through a pandemic and then living through the events that have happened as the pandemic 
starts to release a little bit and we have these smoldering embers of just so many social justice issues that are igniting into flames. And we are living in a world where racial, political, religious, COVID-19, and any other thing that can divide us is reigning to be true. We are facing our own figurative Alps. And how the heck are we going to build a railway over these mountains? We have alarming, alarming diagnoses of anxiety and depression coming out in the last few months. These diagnoses can just compound everything that's happening. It leads us into isolation. It leads us into anger. It leads us into bitterness and frustration. And all we end up doing is debating and arguing and fighting with people that we love and maybe people that we don't even know because that person feels different than me or believes different than me or is reacting to this situation different than me. And I'm going to tell them what's really right and what's really going on, and I'm going to set them straight. There is a chart in your handout, and it is the stages of grief. Some of you have may, seen, may have seen this chart before. And the nice thing about these charts for counselors like me is because it can give some, like, tangible representation of what's happening, right? And they're neat, and they're pretty. And I, as a counselor, can show this to my clients, and I can say, look, you're going to get through this, right? You start here, you go through the little dip, and then you come out the other end, and it's going to be all better. Let's pray. Hope in difficult times. You're going to get through this, right? The end. The difficult thing is that the reality is, is what we feel and what we experience is the second picture of that chart, which is not a linear line through, right? It's just a jumbled up mess of squiggly lines, and I don't even know what I'm feeling right now. This second, maybe I'm feeling angry, and then I'm feeling sad, and then I'm feeling excited, and now I'm feeling depressed, and now I'm feeling isolated, and now I have hope, and now I'm going to meet a new friend, and I'm going to do all of these things, and it, this is all within the last 10 seconds. I'm feeling these different things. So, all of that to say that hopefully that makes you feel a teeny tiny little bit better because we're all feeling the same thing. Just a jumbled up mesh of thoughts and emotions, right? And there's just something about knowing that, hey, other people are experiencing what I'm experiencing too. And that can cause us to join together if we talk about it. So we're going to talk about it a little bit today. Um, a few months ago, before kind of the world exploded, we were having our speaker team meeting, and when we were talking about our sermon planning calendar, it was came up that we were going to do hope in difficult times. Little did I know that we would be facing the times that we're facing when we were planning this, and it was very clear that, you know, I was going to be the one to do hope. Thank you, Pastor G. <laughs> Um, and so I was like, okay, I can do hope. And then like literally like four days later, the entire world shut down from COVID-19. And then, you know, I've just been watching just like you have everything kind of implode and explode and do every other kind of plode you can think of in the world and in our society. 
and I'm thinking, how the heck am I going to teach about hope? Have you seen the world, Lord? How am I going to get on that stage and talk about hope right now? I don't, I, I, have, I am not equipped, Lord. And the Lord is like, oh, yeah, you are, because um, I'm going to, you know, equip you. Um, but here's what he did is when I was praying and I was bringing him and I was being like Moses, like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Here's all the reasons I can't. He just told me Noah. And I was like, Noah, oh my gosh. Yes, Noah. You guys know the story of Noah, right? Because Noah lived in a pretty horrific time. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And not only did he live through a pretty horrific time, then he went into the ultimate quarantine, like ultimate quarantine, right? And I was like, and the Lord reminded me, I see my people, Megan, and I see you. I am the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and my word is alive, my word is active, and my word is applicable to what everybody is living through right now. And so we're going to talk about Noah and we're going to just see what the Lord has to show us a little bit about him and how we can apply that to our lives. So I am going to have some just little snippets of tangible things that you can do if you're having a difficult time, if you're struggling right now. So make sure you have your notes out on your phone or something to write down so that you can just kind of keep that uh, notepad going so that you can say, hey, maybe that's something I can try when I experience this or when I'm feeling this. So, all right, let's talk a little bit about Noah. So here's what the text tells us is happening in the time of Noah's life. Genesis 6, 5 says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so when I looked up wickedness, the Hebrew word for wickedness, it gave a whole paragraph that basically said bad and evil. It had things like bad, disagreeable, malignant, unpleasant, evil, displeasing, worst, sad, unhappy, unkind in disposition, wicked ethically of people, thoughts, deeds, and actions. Things sound like it was pretty bad during Noah's time. And all we have to do is take our phones and go on social media. All we have to do is turn on the news. All we have to do is call a friend or a family member or text a friend or family member or Zoom a family member. And all we hear and see is the, just the negative, awful, evil, horrible stuff happening in the world. I personally had to take a break from social media and reading news constantly or watching news constantly because I was, like, legit, I'm not kidding, starting to, like, hate people. I was like, I cannot, I can't, I cannot. I want to be a light of Christ. I want to love people. I got to get off of here because all I'm seeing is the negative and the bad and the evil. And so I want to encourage you that if you're feeling that way, if that just bubble of anger and frustration and animosity and bitterness and all that just stuff is sitting here on your chest, take a break. 
I was going to have Kit Kats, but I didn't know if you guys would, like, get the reference of, like, give me a break, take a break, but, you know, maybe next time. Um, but take a break from social media, whether that's you take a break one day a week, like you don't go on at all, whether that's you set a boundary of I'm only going to go on during this time block during the day, or maybe you're like me and you're going to take an extended amount of time off, delete the apps off of your phone, don't check them, just kind of take a breather, let people know, Hey, if you need to get a hold of me, text me, call me, email me, but I'm not on social media right now. Um, I also want to encourage you to take a break from reading or watching the news constantly. My grandmother watches her preferred news source all day and all night. And so when she, for those of you that don't know, she lives with us. So when she comes into like the family room with us, she's like, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't take it. And so take a break from having that constant barrage of information coming into you. And you might need to take a break from engaging in intense conversations. We all have thoughts. We all have opinions. We all have ideas about what's happening in the world right now. But sometimes we just need to be quiet. Sometimes we need to keep those thoughts and opinions to ourselves and take them to the Lord first and have the Lord show us what we need to do with that. Um, the other thing you can do is get out into nature. You can take a walk around your neighborhood. You can go for a hike. And if neither of those are feasible for you, take a drive. You can drive up through Mount Charleston and Lee Canyon. It's a beautiful drive. There's Valley of Fire. You can drive by the lake. There's lots of great areas nearby that you can just kind of get out because what nature does is it allows us to be able just to kind of realign our perspective. The world is much bigger than everything that's happening right now. So get out into nature. And lastly, do something that you love to do. You know, if you love to play volleyball, go play volleyball. If you love to paint, paint. If you love to knit, knit. If you love to bake, bake. Do something that you genuinely enjoy doing and take a break from all of the stuff that's feeding into our minds. All right, so back to the text. We see in Genesis 6, 6, 7 that the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. That word sorry in Hebrew means to lament and grieve. It also can be described by what some of our teenagers do, which is, It's like a giant sigh, just like, ugh, right? That was a joke, but that's okay. Uh, It's still early, right? Um, So God is seeing his creation and grieving for what has happened. So my human mind cannot grasp the size of God, the infinity of who he is, right? And so I, I cannot ever comprehend or translate to you the depth or the complexity of his feelings or his thoughts. But I would think that this might be somewhat similar to a parent seeing their child walk down the wrong path. That grieving of like, this isn't the way things were supposed to go. This is not what I wanted for my child. And that heartache that a parent can have when that happens. 
Maybe you feel that way when you think about what's happening in the world. Maybe you feel that way thinking about 2020. Maybe bringing in the scope a little bit more narrow, you think about that for your life. This isn't the way my life was supposed to go. It's comforting to me that know, to know that God understands my feelings. Even my feelings of like, can we just start over, like redo, like in elementary school? Like, can I have a redo on that kickball kick? Because that is not the way that I wanted it to go. Um, one thing I want you to know is that when things are repeated in scripture, it's something that the Lord wants us to take note of. And so he mentions in verse 11 and 12, again, about the conditions of earth and man. And so starting in verse 11 of Genesis 6, now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. That word corrupt adds another layer of how bad things were, and ultimately it means that it's rotting, it's decaying, it's no longer good, it's no longer alive. That gives me a whole other perspective as to what was happening during Noah's time. But sandwiched, between these descriptions of what the earth was like and society was like and humankind was like during Noah's time, we have a description of Noah. And we don't, I, the text, when you read Noah's story, it actually doesn't give you a lot about Noah. And so these verses are kind of like the chunk of like, this is, this is Noah, here he is, sandwiched in between how bad the earth is. Um, starting in verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and Noah walked with God. So when I see this text, and it's sandwiched in between how bad things are, and we see Noah had favor with God, but Noah had favor with God. Why? How? How did Noah have favor with God? Well, it tells us right after that. He was a righteous man. He was blameless in his time. And he walked with God. Righteousness is an attribute that belongs to God. He is the lawgiver and, is manif and that righteousness is manifested in his laws. No man can be justified by his own works apart from God's ordinance. Therefore, righteousness is a wonderful gift from God to humanity through his love. It is the God-given quality inputted to man upon believing. That's a really wordy description, and I'm going to go into that in just a second. But we know that Noah followed the precepts and laws of God and that he was obedient to God. And we know that because as we read the text, we see that he built this gigantic boat because God told him to. Um, and with that, him being righteous and him following those laws and those precepts caused him to find favor with God. But the thing with righteousness is, is that we live in a world where people tend to think what is right is according to their view of right or their view of truth. True or false becomes relative, 
and people just do what they think is right. This is my truth. That's your truth. This is everybody's truth. We all have different truths. Everything's okay, right? But what I need to do is I need to be diligent to make sure that my truth aligns with what the word of God says. And I know that this is hard, but I need to align my truth with what God says, not what I feel. Okay, because when I'm in the feeling scribble graft and I'm all jumbled up like that and I'm out of control, then my feelings take control of my life. And when my feelings take control of my life, my thoughts are going to follow. And then after my thoughts follow, my actions will follow. And what may have seemed like a good motive, what may have seemed like something that was I wanted to do this. I wanted to help something. And now I'm way over here doing something that I don't even know. I thought it was good. And now I'm not sure if it's good. And I'm just kind of out here being controlled by my feelings. So we have to be careful. And the word of God helps us get aligned. And we also have to be careful because unfortunately we do live in a world where people will take advantage of your feelings. If you're upset or you're passionate about something or something is really fueling you to do something, people are going to see it and they're going to take advantage of it. I know that's not what we want to see. I know that's not what we want to believe. I know it's not what we want to hear, but we have to be careful. One of the things that um, I wanted to say in regards to righteousness is we put on righteousness, right? Ephesians 4, 23 through 24 says that we would be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So we put it on. And so the best, I explain it to my kids like this. I was a varsity swimmer in high school. I was not able to wear that team uniform, the team suit, the team warm-ups, all that stuff, unless I was a part of the team. But... When I put it on as a part of the team, my suit did its job, right? The suit was designed to help me glide through the water faster, right? My warm-ups were designed for me to get warm after getting out of the water because, as most know, when you get out of the pool, you can get cold, right? And then your muscles can lock up, and then you have another event, and if you're all locked up, you're not going to swim fast. So you put your warm-ups on, and they warm you up. I don't have to go... Warm up, warm up, warm up, warm up, warm up. When I put those warm-ups on, they just do it. But I have to be a part of the team. I have to be willing to listen to the coach. I have to be willing to show up to practice, right? But I put on that team as a part because I'm just a part of the team. When I wanted to be a swimmer, I had never swam before except, like, playing as a kid. And I went to the coach, and I was like, I want to be on the team, but I don't know how to swim, like, competitively. And she's like, do you want to be on the team? And I said, yeah. And she goes, then you're on the team. I'll teach you. I'll teach you how to swim. And it's the same way with God. Do you want to be on the team? He'll teach you, but you got to be on the team. And you got to want it. It's our relationship with the Lord that helps us understand his word. And then, therefore, apply that to my life. So during these difficult times, one thing that I do is I check in with myself. What am I feeling? 
right? Am I feeling sad? Am I feeling angry? Am I feeling frustrated? Am I feeling animosity? Am I feeling depression? Am I feeling isolated? Am I feeling lonely? Am I feeling joy? What am I feeling? And I give it a name. And then you think about what caused this feeling and what's fueling the feeling, right? Is it me getting on social media and now I'm so angry all the time? Okay, well then maybe I need to do something about that, right? What's fueling it? And what do I think, what do I logically think, not what I feel, but what do I think about whatever the situation is? And then I take my thoughts and I take my feelings and I say, Lord, here's all my junk, right? Here's my squiggle graph. What do I need to do with it? Can you give me your truth on this? What's going on? I need you to help me get through this. Much like how the waters of Noah's flood roared and raged, but God told him how to build an ark and said, stay on the ark. Don't get off the ark and go swimming in that water, right? <laughs> stay on the ark. And that's what we do, he does for us, is he keeps us steady. And so my challenge to you is where do you need to be steadied? Where do you need to get on the ark at? All right, Noah was blameless in his time. And I thought, wow, blameless, that must be very similar to, like, righteousness, right? Like, blameless, righteousness, like, that was until I looked it up. Um, blameless, the word, Hebrew word that they use in this text means whole or complete. And I was like, oh, man, Really? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And it was interesting to me to find that we have this description of Noah of him being blameless or him being complete in whole, and we become complete in whole through our trials. That's how we gain endurance. My heart echoes the cry of Much Afraid from Hind's Feet for High Places, where she says, I could never be whole. I could never be complete because I am way too lame. I am way too damaged. And I think that's the heart's cry of a lot of people. One of the hardest things that I have to tell my clients as a counselor is the only way out is through. We have to go through the mess. We have to go through the journey. We have to do the work. And we have to do the wrestling in order to find our wholeness and our completion. I, I know, I know. That's not what anybody wants to hear. Because it takes an investment of time. And it takes an investment of tears. But the joy comes through this difficult and narrow road that we walk on as believers. And we gain endurance our faith becomes stronger. We have to remember that Jesus said, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And that word for abundant means absolute fullness of life. But we have to walk, right? We have to walk in that journey with him to get it. And when we do that, we become able to have an anchor for our souls. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain 
where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. When my head and heart are just a bunch of jumbled up emotions and thoughts, when I'm living through trauma and difficult times, it's my faith that anchors me to God's truth. An anchor is a device that will embed itself into the seabed to keep a ship from swaying or going, right? But the way an anchor works is it has to have tension. You have to pull on that rope, and you have to pull hard. It will not work. There is no way to set an anchor without pulling and without pulling on it hard. In counseling, we call this grounding, right? We have to get grounded. We have to be able to pull and say, all right, I'm grounded. I have this. I have the tension. What's really going on so that I don't waver, right? And that's what brings us back to the truth, despite my feelings and despite my thoughts. And then this is where knowing and memorizing scripture is very powerful, My life isn't anything like what I thought it would be like on New Year's Eve. And I'm sure you can say the same thing. But I got to rely on God's truth and what he says. We do that by listening to worship music. You can listen to your favorite pastor on a podcast. You can create a playlist. You can read scripture. You can pray. You can even do breathing exercises and meditate on God's truth. One of the things when I feel myself getting worked out is I will sing that Matt Redman song and I will breathe. I'm breathing in your praise or breathing in your grace, breathing out your praise, right? And I will say that as I'm taking deep breaths to remind myself, okay, you got me. It doesn't feel like you got me. I don't think you got me, but I know you got me because your word says that you do. And so I'm going to just believe it and walk in it. And that's what we see Noah did because he walked with God. And that's good that he was able to see God's precepts and laws and that he was, through that, able to become complete and whole because God said, you're building an ark and it's going to be really big. And I can't even fathom the emotional capacity of, like, everybody you know besides the other people in this ark are going to die. Everything that you've ever known, Noah, your home, the way that your house looked, the land, everything you've ever known is going to look different when you get off that ark. And maybe that's how we feel right now. Everything is going to look different when all of this is done. But he expected God to save him. And that's what hope means is an expectation. Do you hope or expect God to come through for you during this difficult time? Maybe you feel everything is going to just be completely crazy. But that's where we put into practice what the Old Testament tells us. Remember. Remember what God did for you. Think about the difficult times God has already brought you through. And if you can't recall any, then ask somebody to share their testimony with you about a difficult time God brought them through. Tell God your struggles and your fears and allow him to minister to you with his truth. The beautiful story of Noah is that through this all, after the trauma of living through literal hell on earth and the ultimate quarantine, 
is that afterwards when he gets off the ark, we have a very special word mentioned for the first time, and that is covenant. In Genesis 9, 8 through 17, God says, I'm going to establish my covenant with you and the whole earth. And he gives this promise of what that covenant looks like. But how beautiful to think about that, because through difficulties, covenants are established. Jesus endured the most horrific trauma of rejection, violence to the point of death, discrimination, and complete isolation from his father. But through that trauma, through that death on the cross, we are under a new covenant. Luke 22.20 says that, and in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. If I could have Joseph uh, and the worship team come up, please. Uh, we are going to sing a song in response. But I want to ask you, are you in and under the new covenant with Jesus? Are you walking with him in faith, righteousness, and anchoring? Do you trust, hope, and expect him to make a way for you through this difficult time? I forgot to tell you one thing about the Semmering Railway. I said that the tracks were built. Everything was ready to go in 1854. However, there was not a train available, created, existed, engineered, even thought of until 1863. Those tracks sat empty with no train on it for nine years. Because the engineer and his team had hoped that one day there would be a train capable of going up the steep inclines and around the sharp curves of the Alps. And so I want to ask you, where do you need to lay some tracks where do you need to be able to say, God, I do not know how we're going to get over these Alps. The world feels like it's dying and decaying. And I don't know how we're going to get to the other side. And even if we lay the tracks, maybe there isn't a train that can go on it, Lord. How are you going to do this? He's going to do it because he said, that he's going to do it, right? He's going to bring hope. He's going to bring healing. He's going to be completeness. Father's Day is one of the hardest days of the year for me. Some of you know my story, but my dad was not in my life. And when I got married, my dad did not walk me down the aisle. I did not have a father's daughter dance when I got married. And it was always such a hard thing for me to go during that season of my life when all my friends were getting married and to see their dads walk them down the aisle. And I thought, why couldn't I have that, Lord? And then one day at one of the women's retreats, God gave me a vision. And he just told me to be quiet, which reminded me of sometimes right now we just need to be quiet and let the Lord speak because he's speaking but he gave me a vision of him dancing with me and him telling me, Megan, you are my daughter. And I remember thinking, gosh, 
that's such a beautiful healing and that's such a beautiful moment for me. But if you would have asked me before I had that, all I wanted was my dad to be in my life and love me. And that is the only way that I thought I could be healed. But God said, no, you can be healed in a different way and I will heal you. So sometimes our expectations get in the way of what we think God should do or how he should do it. So where do you need to lay those tracks to say, God, I don't know. I think it should be this way, but maybe you're going to do it in a different way. But I'm going to expect you to be faithful to your word. I'm going to have hope that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. And so I want you to think and meditate on that. We're going to close in this beautiful song. If you need prayer, I would love to pray with you. I'll go sanitize my hands and everything. I'll be clean. So if you'd like prayer, you can come up. But I want to encourage you to think about today, where do I need to lay these tracks? Lord, what do I need to do to have hope in you and to be anchored in you? Because Jesus, you're our ark. Jesus, you're our anchor. And Jesus, you're our atonement. Thank you, Lord.
Jesus in your promise. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. 